Past, Present, Future Live. In-depth conversations and exclusive live performances featuring some of the most dynamic artists from the world of contemporary music. From Osiris Media, this is Past, Present, Future Live. I'm your host, RJB. This week, we talk with Nick Perry, who just released an album with his band, Nick Perry and the Underground Thieves, called Sun Via. Nick has an amazing story of his musical journey. Although he's only in his late 30s, he's had a lifetime of experience. It started with him getting signed by a major label at age 16, and then going on the road with bands he idolized, like Van Halen, Motley Crue, Velvet Revolver, and others. And then that all disappeared in what seemed like an instant. Since then, Nick has been working on his own music and has formed several bands, but this band, as demonstrated by the title of this album's single, has Nick feeling good. It's an album that combines his excellent guitar playing with great songwriting and influences from rock, alternative, Americana, psychedelia, and more. After the interview, you'll hear Nick do an exclusive performance of I Want You, Everybody Wants One, and Feeling Good. You can find videos of all these performances at youtube.com slash osirismedia. And you can find a Spotify playlist based on this episode in the show notes. Before we get into the show, I want to tell you about two of our sponsors. Past, Present, Future Live is brought to you by Sunset Lake CBD. I've been using their CBD tincture every night before I wind down for the evening, and I can tell you that it's helping me feel more relaxed before I go to bed. Their gummies and CBD coffee are also excellent. As we've mentioned before, Sunset Lake CBD hemp is 100% pesticide-free, and they use only organic fertilizers. To get 15% off your first order, go to sunsetlakecbd.com and enter the promo code PPFL15, and that link is in the show notes. Also, I want to tell you about a special deal from Nugs.net. If you love live music, you need to subscribe to Nugs.net. They have official recordings of over 15,000 shows and a growing collection of over 100 full concert videos on demand. I play Nugs.net through my Sonos system, and it's something I do every day, whether I'm listening to Bruce Springsteen, Goose, Humphreys McGee, or Pearl Jam. Our listeners can get a free 30-day subscription by visiting nugs.net slash ppfl, and one listener who signs up for the trial will get a free annual subscription. Go to nugs.net slash ppfl and get your 30-day trial now. All right, now we're going to get into the interview with Nick Perry, and please give us a review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for listening. I'm here with Nick Perry. Nick, how you doing? I'm well, man. Thank you. How are you? I'm doing well. I'm doing well. We're within dozens of miles of each other, um, but doing this virtually, of course. <laughs> so we appreciate you joining. Um, and Nick, we're going to talk about the album that came out uh, just a couple days ago, August 14th. And I saw your video, which came out, which is really cool. So we're going to get into all of that and talk more about it. But I, I want to start way back from the beginning. Do you have an earliest musical memory? Uh, yes, I do. It's not a rock and roll memory. That came later. My introduction to rock and roll came, um, and we can talk about it if you want, but it came later in life. My earliest music memory was probably being about six years old and seeing a rerun of the Motown anniversary special where Michael Jackson like did the moonwalk and basically like launched his solo career. Yeah. In fact, I can close my eyes and I can see it. You know, we're talking, this is like, if I'm six years old, it would have been 1990. So it's like, 
I'm seeing the house. I'm seeing the TV was like built into the cabinet. You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. you know, on the floor. <laughs> and uh, I remember the feeling that I got. It, it, I was too young to understand, okay, you know, I'm going to go into music for a career. I, I'm going to play guitar or sing or bass or drum. Like, I didn't know any of that. I just, something about the performance affected me. And I thought like, okay, that's what I want to do. I want to be on TV and I want to entertain people. That's, no that, that, that was the thought. That's amazing. Had you been playing any instruments at that point? No. And I would not for another six years until I was 12. Okay. Well, let's jump to that. Actually, I guess what first I want to ask before that, before you picked up an instrument, was there a lot of music playing around your house? Was music a part of your life and your family? No, not really. Um, Interesting. Which people find crazy because my sister also ended up becoming a successful musician um, artist, and uh, and and we get asked the question a lot about our household. And to be honest, it was it was really more of like a conservative. We went to Catholic school. I went to an all boys school. She went to an all girls school with the shirt and tie and the whole thing. And it was a conservative household. My father was born in Italy, so my memories of growing up musically, you know, would have been like Italian opera most of the time on one side. And then my mom, again, not super really into music, but if she did have music on, it was something on the more mellow side, like James Taylor or something like that she would have been into growing up. Uh, But I would not say in any way it was like a, it wasn't like a force that was residing in the home until my mom's sister, who was the black sheep of the family, Teresa, my aunt, we called her the dode. She was the rock and roll one like red spiky hair she was just super cool and super tuned into rock and roll Mm -hmm. and i must have been 11 or at the end of 11 just starting my 12th year around the sun and uh it was thanksgiving this is going to sound made up but it's not okay (laughs) imagine a thanksgiving family dinner and under the table as to not be seen by my parents she like hits my leg nudges my leg and gives me two cassette tapes Okay, cassettes. Mm-hmm. Pearl Jam 10, ACDC Highway to Hell. Wow. Game over. Wow. Completely changed my life from that moment to this moment speaking with you. My life is completely different because of that moment and the trajectory that it sent me on, I'm on as we speak. That was like the defining moment. Do you remember when you got to actually put the tapes in a cassette player and like what was the aftermath of being handed the tapes? I remember hearing and I, again i didn't know anything about music i didn't know like even phrases like guitar solo or like i didn't know who was playing what it was like going in blind to all of this i just heard the sound of an electric guitar and i thought like oh, it just like had this huge effect on my soul like whatever the sound that an electric guitar can make I couldn't believe that sound. Like I'd never heard that sound. Like imagine, you know, we all take it for granted now because it's so, you know, commonplace. But um, if you like went to Mars and just played somebody like Jimi Hendrix or or, or, or Angus <laughs> Young, Highway to Hell, like, and they'd never heard that sound. Like that's what it was like. Wow. I'm picturing like it's like Thanksgiving dinner and your your family's like cleaning up and doing the dishes and you ran up to your room and you're like slam your door and man that's awesome that's a great memory so did you start playing guitar soon after that immediately i begged my parents um i had already done karate and soccer baseball basketball i quit i I just hadn't hadn't found my thing so they thought i was going to quit guitar they didn't want to buy me a guitar 
Um, so they ended up renting me like this nylon string classical guitar with the action was like this high off the board and it was very difficult to play. But from the moment I got it and I remember sitting in the living room, the very first moment uh, holding it, the very first thing I did was I wrote a song. I didn't even know how to play chords, but I just jumbled together like a couple different strings that sounded okay. And I wrote my first song immediately. Wow. And from that moment on, again, like it's that's that's really all I've been doing. And so I know you said like that's what you want to do. Did did that like fuse the wanting to entertain from the Michael Jackson experience with the guitar? Like, did you put that together right away? Were you like, oh, this is actually a career I could have or a job I could have? Yeah. Yes. It wasn't even a question. Like, you know, m- maybe it's weird now because I'm a father and I think about like stuff that my daughter is doing and and how things are influencing her and impacting her and based off my life experience and talking with other people who had different childhood, different, you know, experiences, I'm sympathetic and empathetic to, you know, we all come from a different background and, and have different things go on in our lives. My wife, for example, she'd say like, there's just no way I would, it would even occur to me that I would have the confidence to do that. Mm -hmm. But to me, it wasn't even a, like, it wasn't even a question. It was just like, oh yeah, I'm going to do this. (laughs) You know? So I think that was a product of, of my upbringing uh, my parents, while they were very conservative at the time, they're totally rock and rollers now, by the way. They they love it. <laughs> you guys uh, all had the transformation. Yeah. But although they were very conservative, they were always very encouraging. And, and um, again, at the time, I didn't really appreciate it. These are things that later in life, as we get older, we can look back on and go like, oh, yeah, it's this. But they they always, I guess, made me feel like I could do whatever I wanted. Yeah. So thanks to them, I'm here. It's interesting. Everyone I've interviewed for this show has had a similar perspective. And it's hard to have the perspective, at least for me, until I had kids. And then I understood what opening your kids' minds to things actually looked like, you know? Like, it was a sort of abstract until I had my own kids. And now I understand that the openness and the encouragement and just in general, you know, not necessarily about music, how that can affect a young kid. I mean, that's it's cool that you you had that. And so many musicians I've talked to have had this had the same upbringing, whether their families were musical or not. Yeah. You know, and you're touching upon something that's incredibly important, which is we all have to be mindful how we're raising our children and the littlest of things can have such a huge impact. So it's it's made me very mindful about saying yes or no to certain things that she wants to do, you know, mm-hmm. and to things I would normally be like, nope, like I'll stop myself and go like, you know, is that the right answer? You know, it's like, it's, it's crazy. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I think I tend to overthink that, you know, now it's with everything. Like, am I going to unintentionally mess my kids up if I say the wrong thing? Well, we always think that we <laughs> always think that. And, and I don't know that there's a way necessarily around that. We're all a little bit messed up in our own way. You know what I mean? Yeah. Life is just a bizarre experience. I can't even pretend to say that I have a grip on it, but I'm uh, <laughs> doing my best. So tell me about the building of guitars, because it seemed like you started playing guitars, but I also read that you've been building guitars since then. Did that start right away? How did you get so familiar with the instrument that you started wanting to like tinker with them? Like I think a lot of young guitar players, I went through a phase of discovery with a lot of bands So I was soaking up music. You know, I started playing at 12. I got signed at 16. So those four years were like, it was just like a constant barrage of discovery. You know, I discovered in that short time, not every, but a lot of the great rock and roll of our 
lifetime, you know, Hendrix and, and, um, and Led Zeppelin and Pink Floyd and all the blues stuff and, and all the stuff that came that inspired this. Like it was just an unbelievable amount of, like I said, discovery. And one of those discoveries, not unlike a lot of young guitar players, is having your mind blown by Eddie Van Halen and reading up on him and, and looking at his guitar and going like, wow, he made that guitar. You know, that, that was inspiring to me, like so many people, you know. And so um, I asked my dad to teach me how to solder. That was the first step so that I could experiment with doing different and bizarre things electronically. Mm-hmm. And that led to like a friend of mine gave me a neck and then I searched out a body and then I like put together my own guitars. And then over time, it just developed into a thing where I started building guitars just really for fun. At one point in my story, that actually became like, you know, a business where I, where I was actually doing it for a time. Uh, I'm no longer doing it. I had to make a choice. And, and as we get older, we also learn that's like, there's only so many hours in the day and being a full-time touring recording artist and being a dad and, you know, being a husband and a son and, you know, there's only so much you can do. I was, I was spread out a little thin. I had to make some decisions. So I'm doing the guitar stuff just for fun. You know, I started on Gibson guitars. A weird full circle moment was just this past year. I started working with Gibson in a big way and became one of the faces of their newly relaunched brand, so to speak. Um, I've been scoring a documentary for them. I'm doing a lot of work with Gibson, which is a huge honor. Angus Young, you know, played the Gibson SG. That was my first like nice guitar that I mm-hmm. saved after shoveling snow and cutting grass. Mm-hmm. Uh, so that's amazing. During that time when you were discovering all these albums, was there anything that was like your touchstone in terms of music or, or did you pull in influences from everything? I mean, without question off the top of my head, discovering Pink Floyd has had a lasting impression on my overall arcing musical journey the most. Hmm. Um, I've never gotten tired of Pink Floyd. I've, they've never gone out of rotation in 20 years. Of since discovering them, I'd say they're equally, you know, as much of a big influence now as they were 20 years ago when I started. I'm, I guess, a little bit on the more high-strung naturally as a personality. Something about the music, and when I hear it, it's a feeling. And I try to explain this to people. It's like I don't purposely try to, in any way, make my music sound like Pink Floyd. I, I don't have interest in that. I, I want to make my music sound like me. But I think that no matter what because it's affected me in such a deep way. It's the feeling more than a sound. It's the feeling that I get when I put on those records that really moves me. Hmm. And I think in, even in a subconscious way, that part of that is reciprocated because I want to give people a similar feeling at times, you know? And so it's definitely a huge influence. There's no way to deny it, but my journey, you know, is so multifaceted. I ended up marrying a California girl and living in Southern California for, for years, discovering all the California sound stuff and the Eagles and the Birds and the Burrito Brothers and Graham Parsons. And like that's had a huge influence. The British blues scene and Clapton and Cream and Zeppelin and, and The Who. Mm-hmm. Like what I feel like I am really a culmination of is like those three things. You know, it's the psychedelia, it's the mellowness and the and the mind-blowingness of the Floyd, the British invasion thing, and the California sound, like all in one. And I think looking back on Sun Via, I feel like that's actually pretty well represented unintentionally. Like that's just what came out. And people have mentioned that it's perhaps a little bit more eclectic than they thought. 
I don't know what people were expecting, but I certainly don't have interest in doing 10 songs as much as I love feeling good. I don't want to write 10 feeling goods. That would be mm -hmm. super boring to me. So I feel like, you know, the record is just, is just me. Sunvia is the, the album that came out just a couple of days ago, and I want to get into detail on that. First, I just want to ask about this sense of place, because you mentioned Southern California. You grew up in the Philadelphia area, as we were talking about before we started recording. Does the music scene of Philly or the city itself, what kind of role does that play on your music? And do you feel like you carry that with you as part of your musical identity? That's a really great question. And I think the answer is, I don't think it's played as big a role as maybe somebody would think musically. I think it's more of a mentality for me. I didn't particularly grow up getting into the Philly sound. In all truth, you know, Philly does have a reputation and a, and, and a place where a lot of great music has come from, but a lot of it's on the R&B side and less on the rock and roll side. For me, being from Philly is more a mentality and a very blue collar working uh, it's just had an effect on the person that I am. So even when I was living in Southern California, whether that was LA, Orange County, Joshua Tree, Yucca Valley, spending time in all those places, everyone could pick me out right away and be like, you're from the East Coast. <laughs> you know, and I think it's, it's just something that we carry with us. You know, there's no way I would be who I am if I wasn't from Philly. Philly's a, a tough town. Like it's a, it's a hardworking, tough town with no bullshit people, you know? Yeah. I think that's influenced the person I am. It's influenced, obviously, my entire band is all from Philly. We have that in our DNA no matter what. So I, I do think that that has a big impact on me as an artist and me as a person. I don't know necessarily if that's heard in the music. If it is, I'm not aware of it. Hmm. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it makes sense. It's interesting because like the rock scene in Philly has had a little bit of a revival in the past, what, 10 years or so. Um, yeah. I, I totally get what you're saying. I think that's a, it's a good reason to be here. I like being in Philly. Yeah. Let's talk a bit about Silvertide. You mentioned discovering Eddie Van Halen, and then you end up opening for Eddie Van Halen. And you, like you said, it, those years, it sounds like it was a real serious roller coaster, or at least an upward roller coaster. I don't know if it was up and down, but how did that come together? And how did you end up touring with Motley Crue and Van Halen and some of these bands that you were listening to? You know, a roller coaster, it, it's, it's more like, it was from age 16 to 22, it was all up. Mm -hmm. And then it was all down. <laughs> um, but, um, you know, I call it joining the circus because it happened so fast and there was no turning back. Once we got signed, I mean, it was like that one in a million thing where like you form a band in high school and then your high school band is like on tour in Japan. And the crazy thing, which I tried to explain to people, I don't really know if there's a way to make other people understand who haven't lived that life experience, but like that happening so young, like there's just no way to fully comprehend the gravity of it, appreciate the way I would appreciate that type of success now, and really know how special and rare and lucky and magical that was, because you have no context. I wasn't struggling in the music business for 15, 10, 20 years to get to a certain point. It was like someone just handed me a rocket ship. That doesn't mean that we didn't work incredibly hard or that we weren't, you know, from age 12 to age 16. Like I didn't go out, I didn't socialize, I didn't have friends, I didn't go to parties. I stayed in my bedroom for 12 to 14 hours a day studying and practicing and writing songs. Mm -hmm. You know, like that was my existence, you know. 
I would bring a guitar to school. I, I mean, I was obsessed. I would fall asleep at night with the guitar on. Like it was just a I certainly put in time, and we mm-hmm. all put in time to be able to have the musical fortitude we had at that age. But I can't pretend that again. I went through like this big struggling thing. So it was a crazy adventure, and we had no idea how special and rare it was. It was all, all we knew is that oh my god. Like, you know, we're flying to LA, we're signing this big record deal, we're making a record, we're going on tour with Van Halen and Aerosmith and ZZ Top and Motley Crue and Velvet Revolver. And, you know, it was just crazy. And we had a number one record in Japan and then we're in the UK. And it's like, it was one thing after we're on TV. And, and it was just like this boom, boom, boom. And then it was over with no warning. And it was like, wait a minute, I'm 22. I thought this is what I was going to do forever. And now you're telling me that the band is over. We've been dropped, even though we sold 400,000 records. Okay. It was, just, it was a different time. You sell 400,000 yeah. records today. You're the biggest band in the world. Yeah. Yeah. But at that moment in time, people who are watching and they don't know the story, that, that would have been like 2004. That was the very tail end of that era, of the CD era before the digital revolution and downloading and and uh, the collapse of the music industry in a, yeah. in a way you know it, we were dropped because we didn't sell a million it was a disappointment unbelievable yeah, to wild. sell 400,000 records and be dropped can you imagine it today it's it's yeah, yeah. it's it's unfathomable but um, different world we were dropped and there, there was also infighting in the band for that seven year period six seven year period it was super intense Mm-hmm. And um, again, there was no handbook. There was no instruction manual. We had nothing to compare it to. You know, we certainly made our share of mistakes along the way. But you know, you're 22 years old, and it's and it's over. And then you're like, okay, well, I'm just going to duplicate that, you know, with my next band. And then you find out like uh, that's not how life works, you know. So I spent essentially 10 years trying to duplicate that and realizing like that that's not going to happen again that way. You know, I paid a lot of dues, ate a lot of humble pie, as they say, you know, from then to now. So I have to go back to this touring around the world with all those bands you mentioned. And obviously you were, like you said, it was fast. I mean, was it wild? Was it like crazy being backstage and touring around with these bands? Or were you focused so much on like doing your set that you didn't notice? It just seems like it must be insane to be backstage and run into these guys or whatever. It was absolutely wild. It was it was VH1 behind the music, uh, mm-hmm. party time, excellent. <laughs> yeah, and you weren't even of drinking age. Yeah, no, we we lived it up. I partied for twenty lifetimes in that six seven years. Yeah, <laughs> makes sense. Um, yeah, it was awesome. Um, I'm lucky to be honest with you. I'm lucky that I I made it out alive. You know, mm-hmm. it was it was intense. You could fall down something really quickly without even realizing it, probably. Oh, absolutely. Um, I mean, luckily, I am obsessed with music, and I did maintain a focus on not only the music I was playing, but always trying to get better. And that is something that's never left me. I've never been satisfied. Like, I'm pretty good. I'm just going to, you know, accept that and then just, you know, cruise. Like, that is not even in my DNA. I couldn't do that if I wanted to. Like, I still... Last night I was down here playing and, and I don't call it practicing. I just say it's playing. I, li- I love to play and I love to come up every day with uh, just a slightly more expressive way to play and express myself through the instrument and through singing and through songwriting. Every day I'd work at it. 
So I can't even imagine stopping. You yeah. know what I mean? So, uh, so luckily I do feel like that compared to some of my peers and some people who unfortunately don't make it through that ride, that roller coaster, I do feel like that was a saving grace. Yeah. But I definitely took advantage of everything that I could. <laughs> I mean, how can you not? You know what yeah. I mean? Yeah. Um, single and 18 and, you know, on tour with Motley Crue. Are you kidding me? Like, <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, it's ridiculous. Totally ridiculous. I want to ask, because you said these things happened out of order, and so many people that I talk to spend a long time working toward what they see as that pinnacle or that goal, and then they achieve that goal, and then they realize that that thing that they've been working toward is not the thing they actually wanted. And it's interesting that your story happened, like you said, kind of out of order. Like you started off at the peak. What did you learn from that as you moved on to the next projects? Was that what you thought you wanted while you were there? And then after it was over, did you feel a sense of loss or did you feel like you had yes. learned? Yeah, no, I, I didn't discover it wasn't something I ex- didn't expect and I didn't want it anymore. Like, I mean, I, I had, I've known, I'm married now. I have a child. I have no intention to going back to some of the more ludicrous behaviors. But um, as far as the waking up every day and being an artist, and only being an artist and being able to create art and tour the world and make money, being able to support myself doing it, that to me, that's the takeaway from it, you know? And my journey since then has been actually trying to get back to that. But, you know, there's obviously, there's so much has changed, and not only in the music industry, which is completely freaking different than it was 15 years ago, but the world let's leave 2020 out of it. Cause that's a whole other bag of, you know, but just the world up into 2019, the world is different. So will it look the same if I can get back to, and, and I do feel like I'm, I'm on the way and I'm, I'm doing it. You know, I, I am making a living right now. Yeah. Supporting my family, playing music, being an artist every day. Like, so I yeah. guess in a sense I have, I mean, I'm not on tour with giant bands yet, there's been a couple of amazing opportunities and this year has just been a total slap in the face, but I look forward to, um, to whenever that can resume. But, uh, my ambition is a, was never to be famous. It was never to do it for the money. Certainly wasn't to party. My ambition was to do it for the love of the music and to share the gift. I feel like somehow found me this gift of music, this gift of inspiration to share that with people and lift other people up the way that music has lifted me up. So if you're judging it in that sense, I do feel like I am already a success. The Sun Vias are already a success. It's already reached tens of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of people in just this last weekend. Like it's an amazing thing to be in this position. It's something I don't take for granted. Of course I want more. Of course I want to reach more people. I want that to be millions. But again, not because I want to get rich, not because I want to be famous, but because I just want to share share what I love about music and, and share it with as many people as possible. And I don't think there's anything wrong with saying I, I'd like to make a decent living doing it. You know, I've been at the bottom of the barrel, you know, for many, many years. And what people don't understand is like when you have that kind of success, if it's an original band, like I didn't walk away from Silvertide, a rich man. We dumped all that money back into the band. Mm-hmm. You know, we had a full crew. You have tour buses, you have like things that you need you know, it's a business. And then all of a sudden one day it was gone and um, I had to start from zero, you know? 
overall, man, I'm just grateful. I'm grateful. Uh, I'm not complaining in any way. It's been a wild journey. I've learned a lot of lessons. But to answer your initial question, no, it hasn't changed what I want to do at all. I want to get back to touring the world and playing rock and roll music and being an artist every day, being a dad, of course, as well. But um, that's still what I want to do. It's nothing's changed since I was 12. All right, we're going to jump into Sunvia. I'm just going to take a quick break. We'll be right back. So, Nick, you formed this group in 2018 and put out some singles. Um, and now there's a full-length album, which we've mentioned a couple of times, called Sunvia, which just came out. Can you tell us about how this group came together, how the songs came together, and how you ended up where you are now with this record? Sure. I think the moral of the story is that even during the 10-year period between Silvertide and the starting process of this record, because this record actually took two and a half years to make the first day of recording the first song, believe it or not, was December 1st, 2017. But in that period, you know, I can't say that it was all bad. It certainly wasn't all good. But um, through that 10-year window of ups and downs and, and really trying to discover what it was that, I, that made me happy and fulfilled, I certainly learned a lot about what I didn't want to do. And I had a lot of great opportunities, which I'm grateful for, to play with other artists. I figured out that's definitely not what I wanted to do. I'm a songwriter. I want to write my own songs. I also worked with a lot of great singers and decided ultimately that's not what I really wanted to do either. I wanted to sing my own songs. It's been a long time. I've always sang. It's just, I was always in bands with singers who were so unbelievably, undeniably great that they always sang and I played guitar. But I wrote a lot of melodies, a lot of lyrics, a lot of, um, again, I wasn't fronting a band. But through this process of discovery, you could say, I whittled away at what it is that I thought was going to be the way forward for me. So the biggest change in my life is that now I'm fronting a band and I'm, I'm making music under my own name and I'm doing it my way with zero artistic compromise. And I chose, we had offers. I, I chose to keep the album independent. I chose to keep the band independent. The record was made completely independent of any outside influence any outside pressures or obligations. It's exactly what in my heart I wanted to do. I, you know, had the opportunity to record and produce the record, which was amazing, something I've always wanted to do. I've been producing or co-producing almost everything I've done, whether that's been credited or, or not. Hmm. But but this time I, I definitely wanted to put a flag in the sand and say, no, I'm doing this. How much of that was a reaction to that experience with Silvertide? I mean, was it a complete reaction to that in that it seemed like you had your music, your fate, your future was in someone else's hands a lot of the time during that At all era. time. It was a hundred. That's a, that's a great observation. It's a hundred percent a reaction to that and being in other musical situations. Hmm. I had a mm -hmm. band that I really loved called Mount Holly before I started this project and we were signed there were a lot of really bummer things that happened during that experience. And that was like the last straw that broke the camel's back. You know, I was like in artistic prison for a couple of years. My record was hijacked. It's too much stuff to go into now, mm -hmm, but, but mm -hmm. um, the silver tide, a few other experiences. And that one really hit it home for me that it was like, I'm never going to let myself get in this situation again. I need to, I need to control my own musical destiny. I need to control my own personal destiny, you know? Yeah. So, um, I guess you could say in a way, Joe Walsh has this great quote in the Eagles documentary that I've watched 10 times or more, where he says that when you're in the middle of it, it seems like one event 
colliding and smashing with this other event and there's drum and there's chaos and everything just seems like it's the end of the world. And then, then you get a little distance from it and you look back and it reads like a finely crafted novel. <laughs> and what a wonderful metaphorical way of describing someone's life journey. What's interesting is it feels to me now, I mean, I'm still a young guy. I, I, the, I, I've been doing this a long time because I started so young, but it feels to me like this is actually the start. The show is starting now. The earlier stuff was a dress rehearsal. Yeah, It was uh, making mistakes. I'm not, not saying I'm not going to continue to make mistakes. We, we, of course, always will. But I would like to think, I hope, I made the majority of them already and um, fell on my face, you know, and messed up my lines and blah, blah, blah. And that the dress rehearsal is out of the way. And now the show is starting. And it may, it may not be perfect. There's always going to be something to learn. But it certainly, to me, feels like this is the start of the next 20 to 30 years. The album itself feels like it's a new chapter for you. And it's interesting because I read a description of it that described it as a mix of rock, alternative, Americana, and psychedelic infusion, which is basically exactly what you described as those combination of influences um, from when you started listening and playing. It, you know, it, it feels like it has come full circle, but also it's the beginning of the next circle, which has got to be a gratifying feeling. What does it feel like now that it's out there? I mean, it took so long to put this album together. I don't know if that's a long time in the standards of the you know music world or not, but it sounds like you worked on this for a long time. So how does it feel now that it's out there? It is a long time, especially in this day and age. It feels incredible. And I'm obviously a man, so I, I can't explain the literal feeling of giving birth, but in, in a metaphorical way, I feel like I've just given birth to something and it feels wonderful to A, have it out, to let it be heard, to, for better or worse, get it out there and, and be able to move on artistically. Because I think for all artists, it's, it's really hard. I mean, I can't even begin to think about new songs in album two before album one is even out. You know what I mean? Like that's, it's, it's a doozy. So, and, and we're going to be on this album cycle for, I would imagine, for quite a little while. But already I have felt like a giant relief and, and like a ushering of a new wave to where I'm, I can potentially see myself gearing up to think about what comes next. But in terms of Sunvia, it has certainly been not. And, you know, it's not only that two and a half years. There are songs on the album. Daughters and Sons is 10 years old, uh, lyrically 13 years old musically. Wow trying to think there's a, at least one more that's pretty old white noise is about five years old there, there are songs on the record that were not just written here that, that I, i've carried with me that i've been saving for the right outlet you know and finally mm -hmm. now to do things the way i want and i don't want to make it sound like i've done this on my own i have five bandmates who are just the most wonderful collaborative best friends musicians the record wouldn't be anything near to what it is without them uh, wouldn't exist without them. So it's been a wonderful collaboration. And they know, you know, like, this is my baby. And it's I, I have the vision for it. And they've been super supportive and totally believe in it and want to do the exact same thing, which is super rare. It goes back to what we were saying about how rare Silvertide was to find five people in this world or four people or three people or six people or whatever it is that all want to do the same thing is unfathomably hard. People were just like, oh yeah, just, you know, form a new band. Like it, it doesn't really work that way, you know, or it does and then it falls apart a month later, you know, like, so again, going back to my roots, going back to Philadelphia to find and put together 
what this would be, I didn't have to look far. I just called my best friends that I grew up with making music with and that were part of the Philly music scene when I was coming up. And it's just been a, a wonderful journey to be on with these guys. And um, over the course of that two and a half years, I'm answering your last question a little bit more now, but is we found our way through it. Over the course of the, that time, I began singing and singing and singing and singing more and more and more. Some of the songs came up very recently, Let You Know, was written probably six months before I finished the album. And again, then you got Daughters and Sons, which is 10 years old, 13 years old. So it was really pulling from this wide net of what it is that I wanted to say artistically and do as my first sort of statement under my own name. And that was the big thing because we actually wrote a lot of songs. It didn't take two and a half years to write 10 songs. We actually have about 30 songs. They're not all completely done, but it was what are the 10 songs that mean something together that are eclectic enough to tell the story of what it is that I am about, but also unified enough that it's not like, well, that doesn't fit on the record. <laughs> right. I think it came together really well. It's a really cool record. I'm glad to hear that the band, it sounds like, will be continuing to do stuff together. It sounds like this is the beginning of, of like you said, the next chapter, which is really cool. It's interesting that the the music itself and the sense of place that we were talking about sort of at the beginning about being back in Philly, everything has kind of come full circle. Like you're you're here making music with people you've known for a long time in the place where you grew up, but with the lifetime of experience under your belt and you're you're still young. So that's kind of awesome. I mean, that bodes well for the future because you can apply that to more and more music. You just said it better than I could have. <laughs> that's really cool. Well, let's talk about the future a little bit in the couple of minutes we have left because this is a weird time, as, as we talked about at the beginning. Where are you putting your creative energy now that this album's out there? Well, it's only been out for two days, so maybe in a, in a couple <laughs> months I'll, I'll be able to give you a better answer. Uh, creative energy is still into promoting this record, letting people know that it's around, letting people know, waving the arms like, hey, it's I'm alive and I have a record. This is a very bizarre time. It's, it's certainly less than ideal to be launching this during a worldwide pandemic and you know, there's other things in the world that are happening that are intense. And all I can think of is, you know, there was a real contemplation about whether it should be held off. And my thought was, you know what, at this moment in time, if I can, there's so much negativity and there's so much bummer stuff when you turn on the TV and really any kind of media outlet, there's so much that could potentially weigh on someone. I just thought, you know, if this record even provides a few minutes, in the case of the whole record, 40 minutes, but even one song, Feeling Good's on the radio, if it's even only five minutes, if it provides somebody with five minutes of an uplifting feeling or something that can pull them out of the, um, the barrage of intensity that we're all experiencing, then I think it's worth it. You know, my, my thought was, you know, we're going to move forward no matter what. We're going to put it out there into the universe. And if it makes people feel good, like I said, for even a few minutes, then it was worth it. So it seems like that's the case. The response this last weekend, uh, I, you know, I was still catching up on messages. I received thousands of messages and, and comments that were like really meaningful to me and not something that I take for granted. When I was 16, I didn't know, again, I didn't have any way to, uh, I had no, nothing to compare it to. I didn't know, again, you know, how special. And now, I, man, every comment, Every t-shirt sold, every record bought, every song streamed, like it, it means something to me. And I'm so grateful for it because I know how rare and special and, and I know what a, at times tough journey it's been through the trenches to get back here. 
So I'm very grateful, very appreciative. I will say this, I'm excited. I've been listening to a ton of music. The last two months have been very, very focused on, on the promotion of this and because we had a pre-order going. And so I've been, I've been doing a lot of promo stuff. But at the end of the night, I've been putting on some old records and I'm starting to feel for the first time in longer than usual because usually I'm writing almost every day. I've got some sort of creative energy happening. Really, that's been on hold since probably February when I decided to move forward with getting the record out now because there was just so much to do. And I'm essentially running a record label from my basement. Every moment pretty much has been focused on that. ISRC codes and does the vinyl guy have this and do we have the artwork for this and this is going and we need this to be submitted for this and this and a million things that a record label would do, you know, I'm doing. Right. <laughs> um, so there hasn't been as much new creative stuff flowing. And for good reason, there's just not enough hours in the day. But I'm slowly now, and especially over the last couple of weeks, as I've just been making a little bit of time at the end of the night when my daughter goes to bed and the promo is done to put on some records and just to listen to some stuff. And I'm getting really inspired. And I have a feeling I'm already getting like a creative spark about where I want to go next. And that's really exciting. That's amazing. What kind of records are providing that? Anything in particular? Marvin Gaye, What's Going On, which I feel like could have been written yesterday, which is kind of a bummer. But I've been obsessed with that record. He also has another record called, I think it's called In This Lifetime, which was his last Motown record. It's really funky. I've been listening to a lot of Marvin Gaye. I've been listening to a lot of soul, a lot of funk, a lot of R&B, and a lot of reggae. I'm not saying I'm going to make an R&B reggae record. <laughs> yeah. But there's a way that I've already started messing around with bluesy guitar, psychedelic things that has a little bit of that bounce and a little bit of that groove to it. It's been really exciting. I'll just say that. That's amazing. Cool. I'm, I'm excited to hear it. And I'll link to the video for Feeling Good because just to go back to what you were saying about giving people a little bit of escape and positivity, I think the video captures that really, really well. It's like fun, good music, but like fun, you know, which is needed. Thanks, man. Yeah. You know what? It's rock and roll and it's only rock and roll, as Mick sang. Um, <laughs> but I like it. And uh <laughs> The world is, is heavy, but I don't think there's anything wrong with having fun. And I, I don't think there's anything wrong with, um, you know, art can be introspective. It can be heavy. It can be sad. It can be completely moving on a molecular level. It can also just be fun. What I love about music is that we have the opportunity to experience all of that. You know, there are songs on the record, Daughters and Sons is specifically deep and a few others, but uh, feeling good is fun. You know, why not have the, the yin with the yang? Yeah, that's cool. We'll link to that. And I encourage people to check out the record. But first, after a quick break, we're going to hear Nick play a couple tunes for us. So Nick, thanks so much for joining. Congrats on getting this album out there. Psyched to hear what else um, you have coming. But I guess let's appreciate the stuff you put out there and bask in it for a few minutes. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. I, I really appreciate it. And now here's Nick Perry performing I Want You... Everybody wants one and feeling good. Hello, this is Nick Perry from Nick Perry and the Underground Thieves. Happy to be here today coming to you live from my home studio just outside of Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. Going to play a few songs for you. Acoustic, live. Let's see how it goes. This first tune is called I Want You. It is track two on the new album Sun Via. 
This is called Everybody Wants One. I'm going to do one more called Feeling Good. This is the new single on the radio now. It is track one on the album. It's a very electric song, electric guitar, groovy drum beat song. Uh, I'm going to do a stripped down alternative version here, solo acoustic, and we'll see how it goes. It's called Feeling Good. Ain't got no time for worry Ain't got no time for stress Ain't got a lot of baggage Dragging me down like the rest Ain't 
Ain't got a lot of money Ain't got Mercedes Benz But I will Yeah, I ain't in no hurry Cause I got plenty to spend You know why? I'm feeling good, I'm feeling good I'm feeling good, I'm feeling good I'm feeling good, I'm feeling good Yeah, everybody knows I'm feeling good, I'm feeling good I'm feeling good, I'm feeling good Thanks for joining us. Past, Present, Future Live is hosted and produced by RJB. The executive producers are Adam Kaplan and Kirsten Cluthy. Production, editing, mixing, and original theme music by Brad Stratton. This podcast is presented by Osiris Media. Please visit OsirisPod.com to find more content and deepen your connection to the music you love. 